0: What's up, guys? Evolutionary.org podcast coming away, episode 422. Today, uh, Rick's going to do an interview with Rick Collins.
1: Steve Smee here. Hey, what's hey, up? What's up? What's, what's up, Steve? What's up, guys? How's everybody doing out there? Hey, we, we fumbled the intro on this one, huh? There hundreds of episodes. We fumbled an intro. Um, yeah, guys, so uh, I do a podcast where I interview uh, people in the industry, that have information that is important to you guys. It's the Elite Fitness Podcast. You guys can go to EliteFitness.com. And on the top right, there'll be a link that says podcast. And in this one, I'm interviewing Mr. Rick Collins. He is the steroid lawyer in the U.S. Guy has been around steroid laws, enforcement, legislature since the early, early 90s when steroids became legal. All the way until now, working with companies, individuals that have issues with uh, problems with SARMs and research and steroids and pro-hormones. He, he is very knowledgeable. It's a nice, long interview. You guys are really going to enjoy. So this is on the Elite Fitness Podcast. Uh, that's a different feed. But we're gonna syndicate the whole show here for you guys um it's about an hour and change hour and a half interview really good interesting interview for anybody that's um any has any kind of uh is doing anything in this industry it's definitely a very very interesting interview so um ready to listen to it steve
0: yeah let's see it man i'm excited to listen all right
1: all right so here we go without further ado here's uh Mr. Rick Collins. So I think everybody's really wanting to know what's going to happen with these, with these SARMs, with these not-for-human-consumption research items, and even some SARMs being sold in capsules now. What's going to be the future on that, and how how long that's going to keep going on for? What what's going to happen? Because if they get scheduled, these these pharmaceutical companies haven't made their money on them. Um, I mean, what, what do you think? What is your opinion?
2: So so well. First of all, thanks for having me, Rick, on on the podcast. I, I appreciate it. I've been doing uh, doing this stuff for a long time. You bring up research chemicals and and sort of these these things that are sold not for human consumption over the internet i've probably handled more of these cases where the government has gone after people or companies that do it than then as far as i know any other lawyer so and this goes back so what the future is what we'll, we'll look at what the past is right so it's been about 20 years that this market has existed. Not for SARMs, it it started out with other types of ancillaries for bodybuilders that were being sold for research purposes. And SARMs are just kind of the latest chemicals that are being sold for that purpose. Um, But the government doesn't like it, right? Big, Big Pharma doesn't like it and the government and and department of justice don't like it and the fda doesn't like it and so they have gone yeah, after head companies.
1: shops too they're head shops too that sell not you know for research only items that are for people to get high or have uh, lucid dreams and crap like that that's exactly uh, that's also yeah
2: yeah exactly if you remember a while back you remember tommy chong Chichen and chong?
1: Yes, yes, I remember them. Yeah.
2: Those uh, comedians, they, you know, the the whole bit was just they were weed heads and they were just getting high all the time. And they made a bunch of movies about smoking marijuana and having a good time. And uh, after they made those movies, and that was really what both of them, Cheech Marin and and Tommy Chong were known for. So Tommy Chong decided to start selling bongs, right? Over the yep, pirates, yep. So so he set up this website to sell bombs and he said on the website not to be used for smoking weed. And so he, even though the, he was selling bombs and he had pictures of him, you know, looking high and his entire reputation was based on smoking weed, he would say not for not for smoking weed. And the government went after him under the idea that this was fraud and that he was in fact selling paraphernalia for the purposes of smoking weed, even though he said he wasn't. And so just saying something is for one thing and not another is not necessarily the end of the story if there are circumstances or facts that suggest that it's just bull. Right. So him saying not for use with marijuana, when there was really no other legitimate reason you could even come up with for why people would be going to Chong's bongs and buying bongs. Um, he was prosecuted and he was, in fact, convicted um, of trafficking and drug paraphernalia. So so that sort of, you know, calling one calling something one thing and it actually. Being uh, shown to be something else under the circumstances is the same theory that the government uses to go after people selling SARMs, peptides, um, erectile dysfunction drugs, uh, anti estrogens, anything that um, typically people in the fitness or bodybuilding community are using sort of as as adjunctive kind of things to steroids any of that if you're selling it not for human consumption but the circumstances show well it's obviously for human consumption that's a problem and that's something the government goes
1: after now do you think that at least we already know research Novodex and Clomid and some of this stuff is, is, probably not going to become um, highly like race and scheduling. Do you think that that's going to happen with, with songs? Will they be scheduled the same as uh, steroids? Will you know, uh, card Carter, GW carterine and Austrian and some of these products be categorized same under the law as testosterone and Dianable at some point, or what do you think?
2: So, so first we could have a long discussion someday about, how it is that testosterone wound up in the Controlled Substances Act, in the same law with heroin and cocaine and marijuana and oxycodone. You know, how did testosterone get there? Um, And it happened in in 1990 that that Congress put it in there and we could talk about the hearings that preceded it and why uh, Congress uh, appears to have taken that action and whether in fact it was the right thing to do. you know, Not many people realize that in those hearings before testosterone became an anabolic steroid, the DEA, the FDA, the National Institute on Drug Abuse, um, the American Medical Association all sent representatives to Congress to testify against against scheduling testosterone and other anabolic steroids as controlled substances. No, few people seem to remember that from 30 years ago, including folks in the DEA and the FDA, but, yep. but that was their position at the time. And we could definitely talk about whether that was you know, the right thing to do, because Congress obviously disregarded all of their testimony, and instead listened to some folks who were in organized sport who were complaining about cheating in sports. So, so that happened in 1990. And you know, when Congress is presented with what they think is a, a potential sports cheating scandal, um, they this is sort of their go-to, right? they take it and they make it a controlled substance. So there have been some highly publicized cases of elite-level athletes testing positive for Osterine and other SARMs. And obviously, anti-doping authorities are upset about that and are looking to try to keep these substances out of drug-tested sports. And so, similar to what happened in the ramp-up to the 1990 Anabolic Steroid Control Act, some folks in Congress started looking at whether we should make SARMs into schedule three drugs, just like steroids, under the theory that they have similar or somewhat uh, analogous uh, anabolic properties, and that athletes are abusing them and and using them to to build muscle or enhance performance in a way that um, organized sports people and anti-doping people think is unfair, and so I think it was probably four years ago, maybe, um, three or four years ago, uh, two senators, uh, Orrin Hatch and Sheldon Whitehouse, introduced a bill that would make SARMs into the same level, uh, Schedule Three drugs, similar to, to testosterone and anabolic steroids, which would effectively make it illegal to sell SARMs, um, unless it was pursuant to a prescription. And of course, a lot of these things are not approved as FDA drugs. Um, But it would also make it illegal to possess them. Uh, And that's different from today, Rick, because right now, those kind of the, the laws that we talked about before of like sort of fraud and and you know selling something as a research chemical when it's obviously not for research it's for people to use whether it's to get high or to to get jacked it's for people to use um that's that you can go after the seller the marketer and i've represented a lot of people who market peptides and SARMs who call me up and say the government is it has just conducted a search warrant they've just you know, they've, they've just uh, called me and let me know that they're investigating me or they've just questioned me uh, for selling, for marketing, for introducing those substances into interstate commerce, which is what makes it a, a federal crime. But if this law were to pass, this SARMS this Control Act were to pass, then somebody who bought SARMS, somebody who's possessing um, a bottle of Osterine. Uh, in their car or their house, um, if that were to be recovered by law enforcement, that would be a uh, a crime under federal law and could be prosecuted. And that guy could could get you know a conviction and potentially jail time just for possessing a song.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I. I always thought that one of the reasons uh, steroids uh, kind of, sort of, it was easy for them to to be classified, become illegal in 1990. Uh, I, I think the big sports scandal was Ben Johnson and Carl Lewis. Ben Johnson beating Carl Lewis, testing positive for winstrol at the time of the Olympics, and I think most of those drugs were already past their uh, patent uh, protection time, and right. so the pharmaceutical companies couldn't couldn't quite protect them, and they wanted to also launch new drugs to, to take their place in, in some of these diseases that were being prescribed for. And I think, um, cause it makes it a lot harder. It makes it a lot different for a doctor to prescribe something once it's in that category, than when it's in the same level as a, you know, as an antiestrogen, estrogen or something dumb like that. And, um, but the, you know, the, pharmaceutical companies haven't quite made their money on this arms yet maybe I, maybe i got my 10foot hat on a little bit but i think uh i've always thought i've always yeah i've always thought that uh just because you know just make, because making them just because make, you're
2: paranoid doesn't mean they're not out to get you as the old saying says right
1: <laughs> i mean some i've seen so many weird things happen uh like mac mac becoming now uh You can't have it in your supplements anymore. I have a supplement that I have NACA had to the new version. Can't 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 have it anymore. Some of these some when I see some of these things, I think like there's more at work Um, now. uh, uh, SARMs are not illegal yet. Have you seen anyone do jail time over over SARMs or peptides or research? I I have
2: I have I have seen people do jail time over SARMs and peptides. Not not huge amounts of jail. And the the facts are always um dependent in, on you know individual circumstances in a case and, and the ultimate result has a lot of factors that go into it. Um I have seen and I'd never you know breach an attorney client privilege so so this is just you know knowledge you could you could get from you know, just looking at the public dockets and whatnot, um, and and my clients typically don't go to jail, and I I fight like like crazy to avoid that happening. But there have been cases where, in other situations, and and with other lawyers, and and even with facts that are unpleasant. So so obviously, whether somebody gets jail time or not depends on a lot of factors. It depends how much how much money they made in a fraud case, how much. Uh, drugs they moved in a drug case, whether they have priors. So if somebody's already done five years, let's say, for trafficking in drugs, and now gets involved in you know, selling peptides or SARMs under circumstances where it's clear that they could be proven that these things were not for Uh, research purposes that they were for human consumption and that the guy selling them absolutely positively knew it. And that was in his intent. um, Then, then there can be jail time on those cases. It's not, it's not the same amount of jail time as would go into a heroin or a cocaine case or something like that. But um, prior criminal history plays a big factor and what the facts are, what, how much evidence there is, that calling it research chemicals and and saying, you know, having a disclaimer that the person, the buyer needs to click on saying, I'm a researcher, I'm not going to use this. Um, how clear and obvious it is that that's just
1: BS. Have you seen uh, in any cases of uh, people be affected? Like I have a podcast. We talk about antibiotics. I've had people on who talk about uh, the, the steroids and stuff like that. Has anyone been uh, uh, in trouble for, for for just having the First Amendment right to talk about these compounds and even advise people on, on how to use them? Uh, a lot of very popular YouTubers that have some of the right. millions of followers, millions of views that are just right. talking about how to use stuff, how to they, they, everybody date Palumbo, more plates, more dates, Tony Hughes. I mean, all these guys are on social discussing in pretty close detail uh, the usage of these things, answering questions from people. What um, right. Have you seen anyone be affected by it? So the First Amendment gives a lot of protection.
2: Um, people are allowed to talk about things, um, and that's not criminal. And it's very hard for the government to prosecute uh, people for simply saying things Um unless there's something a little bit more involved than that so if you look at it on a spectrum on the one end it's you know somebody let's say just saying here's the sort of stack that i've used in the past and that's just fyi for information There's no way the government could prosecute somebody for telling the truth about what they've used in the past. Uh, At the other end of the extreme is somebody who's either selling steroids themselves or saying, here's what I've used and here's how you can get it, and having a link to um, somebody, an underground lab or something like that, or directing people uh, to it obviously if you're facilitating the possession or purchase or sale of controlled substances, well, then, then it's a whole different thing, right? Then, then you're in, in the potential criminal harms way. Um, So a lot of the conduct is somewhere in between, right? And there's a spectrum uh, where, you know, it's, it's not, it's more than just, Here's what I've used in the past, and I don't necessarily condone it, but this is just FYI what I've done, to the other extreme. And, you know, where the line lies between those two, where the scale tips from protected speech into potential criminal conduct either conspiratorial conduct where arguably you're facilitating or aiding or or agreeing with the seller to sell it is really very fact dependent, you know. So, you know, a lot of people sort of operate in that gray area, uh, hoping that they're on one side of that equation, that they don't tip over and recognizing that these are sort of tougher cases to prove for the government than simply going after the underground lab guy himself, right? Somebody who's, who's much uh, easier, low hanging fruit. And so with limited resources and limited manpower or or staffing, um, the government typically goes after the easier cases. And so people play the odds that um, even if they go over the line, chances are the government won't go after them and if they do go after them well then they'll call rick collins and he'll be able to you know work his magic on it so so that becomes i think the thinking for a lot of people
1: you've been uh, defending these kind of cases now for going on what about 25 years now my pretty close it?
2: man that's scary it's scary you know it's been a long, there, i'm only time. i'm only 35 years old how could that be
1: <laughs> so because i remember le- your book legal muscle uh your book legal muscle it came out around 2002
2: 2003 2002 yep yep and and i'd worked on that now, a couple I, of years yeah
1: so i've been doing I, it for has a there been a, that i remember i you know we we worked with your affiliate program for for, for that book back in back in the day now uh, have you do you have an updated version of of uh, legal muscle out there yet
2: so I don't know if people read books the way they used to, you know, Um books, man, you got You got to have yeah, Amazon yeah. and Audible. Yeah, you maybe that, maybe that would make sense. Maybe that would. I mean, obviously, since 2002, a lot has changed. Right. I mean, the the laws have changed, you know, that the 1990 steroid law was in place then, That was changed in 2004, and then in 2014, uh, you had the the Designer Anabolic Steroid Control Act that now exists. The U.S. uh, federal sentencing guidelines have changed dramatically back then uh, to be a lot tougher on um, the same quantities of steroids um, that you that the same amount that would have been possessed or trafficked in you know prior to. Uh, 2006 when the guidelines changed was completely revised and and much more harshly treated after that so and and the literature has evolved too you know and and the market has evolved if you look in, and you know this back in the in the 80s and you know early 90s be, before the control act really started having its effect the steroid products were typically diverted uh, U.S. FDA approved pharmaceuticals, right? Getting back yes, doors, yes. right? Out of friendly. <laughs> the guys would, guys or, would argue
1: which between be, guys would argue between which was better human grade or, or vet grade. If you if you the lower level stuff, you would just get veterinarian grade from Mexico. It was still, you know, ran by an approved lab. But right. that was the argument back in the day. Now everything is on the ground. Yeah,
2: right. So, you know, so what, what's happened is, well, for a while, it, it sort of you were getting finished products coming in from overseas. And then as the uh, imports started getting, you know, more and more of a crackdown on them, then finally, now what you just have is raw powders from China coming in and, and, you know, underground lab chemists making esterifying it in their, in their homes and slapping a label and, and selling it as an underground lab product. So the market has changed a lot back in the, you know, Before I wrote the book, you were starting to see um, some clinics, TRT type prescribing going on. But now you've got even clinics that are franchised, uh, focusing on men's health and wellness and using testosterone and and other even sometimes other types of peptides to um, to treat people. Uh, in in, a, in aging men to make them feel better. So the market's changed a lot. At some point, yeah, I, I could see another book or, or some sort of audio book or something along those lines, but, um, but I kind of been covering it in my magazine column. I do a column for Muscular Development Magazine uh, and I've been doing that since just about when I wrote the book, actually before I wrote the book, so if, if people want to see like, what's the latest thing going on, um, muscular development, either the print copy or musculardevelopment.com uh, has a lot of my archived, um, columns on it. And I've covered everything from the SARMs control act to FDA related changes, dietary supplement issues, just general health and wellness policies. And kind of what, Bodybuilders and people in the fitness community should know about what's going on with laws, policies, and, and even like cultural and, and social developments. So, so that's one way of finding out. And I'm, I'm also active. I do a lot of these podcasts and I'm active on social media. Anybody who wants to follow me can follow me on Instagram at Rick Collins ESQ. Um, you can follow me on, on Facebook at, at Rick Collins Online. And, um, and so those and, and I'm on Twitter too at Rick Collins esQ. So I try to, which keep is your people stronger, which date. is your
1: strongest outlet? You know, everybody has got social has a really strong outlet. Where were you say your strongest at? IG on uh, Twitter or Facebook?
2: Yeah, you know what? Uh, I'm finding that Instagram is is a good way. I, I get more people, more eyes on stuff uh, through Instagram, even though it's um, it's more, visual-based and, and less content-based. And I'll put in my bio, I'll put links. If you go to my Instagram account and you go to the bio and, and the link tree there, you'll see a whole bunch of links to podcasts, to articles. I just wrote an article, actually. Um, I co-authored a piece and I, and I've written a number of peer-reviewed journal pieces. And I just wrote a piece that is is something that's fascinated me for a long time and it's the the difference between the way uh we treat gender dysphoria and and you know muscle dysmorphia um and and you know muscle dysmorphia is like bigorexia right the the guy who on a on a mental mental illness standpoint right i mean and that look there are bodybuilders who have that right i mean that no matter how big you get You still look in the mirror and you think you weigh 110 pounds soaking wet with change in your pockets. Right. And at some point that's, that's a indicative of a a mental disorder, right? I mean, it's one thing to say, yeah, I, I, you know, I still have to get bigger. I need more size on my chest or arms, but it's another thing when it reaches a level where it's actually a disorder and Gender dysphoria is uh, also categorized as a mental disorder, and it's the the idea that uh, somebody who has one gender who, that they were born in um, it feels that that's the wrong gender, and they're imprisoned in a body that is not doesn't match their self perception of who they are. And obviously, if you're a female at birth and you self identify as male then the law allows you to be prescribed testosterone in order to change your body to match your self-perception, right? Because you're treating that disorder. Um, With bigorexia, uh, if you go to the doctor and you say, I'm 140 pounds, but I self-identify as 240, and I would like testosterone to try to match my self-perception to the what I see in the mirror, that doctor's going to throw you out of his office and you' you're, you're going to be sent to a shrink to try to make you accept the way you look. And you know That's- the article is, is, is provocative because and I'm not saying that in, in any way that that trans uh, or non-binary people should be denied, testosterone i think you know you should be happy in your body and if there's a scientific approach to allow it great i'm fully supportive of that and and we're not even saying that people who want to get bigger should be prescribed testosterone what we are saying is that the gap between those two treatments so that one is you know is, is looked at favorably and almost celebrated in modern society and the other sends the doctor to prison and sends the and and makes it a crime for a person to possess it for those reasons. Yeah, that's a pretty far gulf, and I'm not sure anybody's really looked at how wide that distance between those two approaches is.
1: You know, it's 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 sad, but even just having this conversation and some mediums would get us canceled. Just even bringing up these right. questions, yeah. and, and even talking about them. It, One it thing is. I will say is this: I had this. Um, I, i had this conversation actually believe it or not a good almost 10 15 years ago before everything that's going on around has been going on was going on because it's always been easier for transgender people to get prescriptions for hormones than it's been for bodybuilders and uh and i remember having this conversation with somebody we a gay gentleman and he his answer was well, well rick they fought for those rights you know and i right. think um i think it kind of boils down to to us bodybuilders we kind of hide our use. We're 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 kind of shy about it. We we're embarrassed by it. Um, but I think it wouldn't take much for us to to turn this whole thing around and be able to be prescribed that we just got to come out of the woodwork, stop fucking hiding, yeah, hiding, it- and come out and say this is what we want. Uh, pot users are going to have are now having their day. So so it's no longer illegal to to, to possess pot, but it's right. illegal to possess. Dianable. I mean, that's crazy. Now anybody anybody who's um you know who's transgender feels they're born in the in the wrong body they're able to get hormones obviously well they, they fought for those rights um um hard uh, but yeah. we hide and i just i don't i don't know i mean besides me doing a podcast having conversations with uh gentlemen like you and just just getting the information out there i don't i mean what else could could we do cuz i mean it really is that simple dude i think i think it's just a it's not even it doesn't have to be a big movement. We just got to come out right. and say, look, we want to we wanna just enhance, we want to have rights to hands, but we, we hide it from our own families. It, I th- I think. I think were use probably more in the closet than than a lot of gay folks out well, there. Well, I mean, yeah, on social. There's a lot of a, a lot of fake naturals on social. There's a lot of a lot of guys that won't admit to their own to their own use. Yeah. I see a lot of fucking yeah. jack dudes in suits, <clears throat> and you know, not everybody talks about their cycle and what they're doing. So uh, right. I, th- I think that's got a lot to do. with
2: Yeah, you know, it's funny. Certainly, the the pro marijuana lobby, <laughs> you know, and it may be just that there's probably maybe more people who smoke pot than, you know, are, are doing gear. And so it, it, it was, it picked up more steam. Um, there's also sort of an anti, you know, there is, and, and we cover this in that article, there is sort of an anti-testosterone um, kind of uh, aspect to modern society, right? I mean, the, the words like testosterone poisoning um, uh, are acceptable and like hyper masculinity and, and masculinity in general is is not looked at the way it was 40 years ago. you know, uh, when when icons were John Wayne and and you know, be tough and, you know, be hard, you know, that those sorts of ideas have evolved and gone away. and we live in a society now that is that is much more, empathetic and more um, interested in emotions and feelings um, and has sort of, you know, I, I wrote a piece, co-wrote a piece with a friend of mine a number of years ago called Estrogen Nation. And so, you know, the, the, I think the, the movement, the the zeitgeist as they say of, of modern uh, America and, and maybe even in other countries too, is sort of a softening, of the you know what is acceptable and and what is looked at as favorable uh conduct behavior and such and so testosterone and and steroids are on the on the bad the, the wrong side of, of that of cultural evolution for
1: sure for sure for sure even as a mark. Uh, trying to get ads ran on Facebook, it's easy to get your ad ran for anything we related, pot related, dispensaries, training programs to participate in the industry, CBD supplements, all that. Now, you try to have an advertising approved with abs in it or some dude, uh you know, flexing or things like that, or, or even bottles of supplements. It's anything to do with fitness, musculature becoming bigger. Uh, 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 portraying the ideal body i think it's it used to be a cause for a, an ad rejection on facebook even just social media and they control so much of the flow of information they're all against it i mean they're for pot big time but they're all against, right. against anything to do with with, with fat burn well, with, muscle, yeah. with gaining yeah. muscle
2: well look at the whole you know success of a franchised gym like planet fitness right i mean the whole success of that franchise is based on an anti-bodybuilding campaign you know their whole campaign is that you know bodybuilders are uneducated stupid um terrible people and you know the most famous ad is the guy who walks around in the planet fitness saying i I pick things up i put them down And the Planet Fitness trainer walks him around the gym and says, I have a spot for you, opens the door and, of course, puts him back into the alley behind the place and and slams the door on him. And the idea that you can't deadlift in in a Planet Fitness, you can't spot somebody or make a lot of noise in in training or have a, a, a gallon water jug with you is, you know, when they pride themselves on a, the idea of no judgment or being a judgment-free zone, apparently it's no judgment against people who are completely out of shape or obese, but complete judgment against anybody who is
1: in great shape. Um, and that's
2: kind of, that's worked for them, right?
1: Yeah, man, the, 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 this world is kind of losing me. The models are now overweight. Uh, there's nothing to aspire to. <laughs> the models are <laughs> overweight. Uh, the the new Batman, this kid who's going to play Batman, he he refused to work out for the role. Um, right. Matter of fact, he went all about the press about it. He says, "I'm not, I don't want to set a bad precedent." And keep asking me to get in yeah, shape. I am not am an Avenger. I'm not doing that. Yeah, man, it's it's a definitely a different world, man. You let somebody borrow the car now, they don't bring it back with a full tank. You know? Yeah. <laughs>
2: people. people <laughs> well, just, you know, it's like you know. Look, there's there's a happy medium, right? I mean, nobody should ever be shamed about their body, you know. And and you know, I think in some ways, uh, where where we're we've gone is is good for some people. I mean, certainly if you're you know um, if you have uh, some medical problem, or if you're just overweight and you know, people should not be made to feel bad about, about themselves. But on the other hand, you know, we should also inspire people to improve. I mean, all of us can, there's not one of us who can improve in some way. And if the message is simply accept yourself exactly as you are and don't try to improve in any way physically or in other ways, um, we're sort of like celebrating mediocrity and I'm not sure that's really where we wanna go. The other thing I just wanted to say, just because you were bringing it up about weed before I forget it, is that you may have been following, and this is another big development, you may have been following what's going on in Oregon. So in Oregon, they actually, very progressive state, they actually changed their law and they have decriminalized the possession of all drugs, all drugs in Oregon in small amounts. uh, So that if you're in possession of a small amount of heroin, or you're in possession of weed, or, you know, whatever it is, um, it's no longer a crime in the state of Oregon. And that was done, I think, in, you know, looking at maybe social equity, and social justice issues. And but I mean, the, the funny thing about it is, because they made all controlled substances decriminalized guess what got swept up into the decriminalization anabolic steroids right so (laughs) (laughs) i'm sure that wasn't in their minds when they did it and maybe had they thought about it they might have tried to carve them out because it you know i think it it sort of contrary to to the way their worldview might be but um but yeah so bodybuilders in the oregon federal laws
1: uh, still still apply to the federal laws still fall over all these little uh, the
2: federal laws. law still applies in every state right and so and that's why even in states for example where they've uh legalized marijuana um that doesn't mean that it, it's legal for under the federal law the federal law still makes it Marijuana is still a Schedule One drug. You know, even cocaine is Schedule Two. Steroids are Schedule Three. Marijuana is Schedule One, which means there is zero, no accepted medical use for marijuana. Um, even though I think it, anybody with you know who can do a simple Google search would see that you know there is support for the idea that marijuana can have medical uses under the right circumstances for people. So um, so, yes, federal law still applies, although fed, the feds and the DEA typically never go after personal users. It just wouldn't be worth their while to go after some guy with a vial of trembolone in his kitchen. So um, so in Oregon, you know, when state law changes, um, at least for personal use, small amount matters, it it really has a, a pretty dispositive effect on, you know, personal use situations.
1: Is a is a, a pill of diazepam still considered like a pill of ecstasy under the law under the, the, the sentencing guidelines that changed in the two thousands or is that been been back because somebody listening to this might think in argon they could walk around with a with their bottle of D-ball in their pocket and no that's hundred tablet hundred caps capsules yeah. whatever you're yeah you're, you're so, to jail, so bro you have hundred ecstasies
2: yeah. right so uh, state law defines and and different states can define different amounts. Some states will, will make personal use um, uh, and misdemeanor situations based on circumstances of the possession. Others have a set number of pills or units that they use. Um, but under federal law, y- you're right. Um, in 2006, the guidelines were changed. And up until then, um, it's interesting because... Prior to the change in the guidelines in 2006, you had 50 tablets was one unit of steroids and 10 cc's was one unit. So basically, if you had a 10 milliliter vial of stipionate, that was one unit. If you had 10 vials, that was 10 units. If you had, you know, 100 d-balls, That was two units. So, in order to get up into jail, you know, prison exposure, you needed a damn boatload of steroids, right? So, uh, and that was true in the earlier part of you know this century. Uh, I was actually part of the working group uh, that was brought to. I remember reading that article.
1: Yep. Yeah. So, so
2: I was, I was, I tested to help figure out how
1: much, how much are guys really using? Yeah. I remember I was you had clients that. get into situations that, that were doing yeah. heavy cycles and right. they would get pegged with these crazy, uh, crazy uh, charges of distributing. We're well, not, nah, this is like what this dude does in a month. <laughs> right. <laughs>
2: yep. Yep. And, and it's because I remember reading so that different. article. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and even the patterns of use are so different from what the DEA and the government is used to. Right. I mean, if, if you're a crackhead, what is your, what has, what's your 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 Every purchasing? day, they, they
1: buy, they buy a, a little bit every day. That's right.
2: Crackheads. You go out, you get high, you you get you come off it, you, you go back out, you get some more crack, you come back, you smoke it, and then you go out and you look for more crack. So you're never in possession. The only people in possession of huge amounts of, of crack or even moderately large amounts are people who are selling it. But obviously, you and I both know that steroid users are pack rats, right? I mean, you're going to acquire everything you need for your contest prep for your for your full cycle. And so you're going to have a whole bunch of different drugs and you're going to have enough of them. And so a a guy who's just a, you know, mid-level NPC competitor might have what the feds would would look at as, you know, the Pablo Escobar of steroids. so. So, yeah, so I did testify about that. Right. And um, but the law, the guidelines changed. And so now one tablet is one unit. So it matches Vicodin and other schedule three drugs. So one tab of D-ball or Anivar or Anadrol doesn't matter whether it's a five milligram tablet or a 50 milligram pill. um, It's one unit and half of a cc is one unit. So now that vial, that 10 CC vial of, of DACA is now, instead of it being one unit, it's now 20 units. And so the more you have, the more. Yeah. The it be-
1: so, so uh, um, it, l- let me, let me just steer into conversation a little bit towards this. Cause you mentioned that is, is real interesting. There's been a surge in TRT clinics. Over the yes. last decade where they're just everywhere now. Now I know a little bit about it, a little bit about how they're they're being franchised out now. Uh, how um even some of the the laws that changed around the pandemic, around COVID lockdowns, where you could have telemed, where you could see your doctor basically through Zoom. And right. some doctors could even get a special license until i just on the next state over. So now uh, if you you know if you have a uh, 15, 20 doctors around the country. Um, and each of them get the the license into to do a telemed an adjacent to uh, states. You pretty much have a lockdown. <laughs> and you can uh, you can you know create a whole network of trt uh, clinics and prescriptions and stuff. This is what I've been kind of following because it, it's really interesting to me how. Uh, you know, they all came out and now they're, they're all over Facebook. They're, they're marketing to me on social. So you talk a little bit more about that. Is that going to continue to go on or, or do you think that that's going to also come to, come to an end? Cause they're, I mean, I see them prescribing now stuff that I know has not been approved for human use yet. Uh, some of these right. peptides are not, are not approved, but they're right. still, they're prescribing them. Um, And how, how's that work? And what are your thoughts on all that? So
2: um. You know, the TRT clinics have evolved over time. If you remember, you know, probably 15 years ago, there were some efforts by law enforcement folks to try to crack down and they were looking at some of them as kind of pill mills, the equivalent of, of like a pain pill um, mill where you just call up, you speak to a sales rep and next thing you know, you've got some uh, some DECA and tests showing up at your door. Um, You know, what makes uh, TRT clinics or any prescriber or distributor, um, medical distributor of anabolic steroids into uh, into the harm's way area of criminal law is when it's for a non-medical purpose. Right. There's nothing wrong with prescribing testosterone for a medical purpose um, it, with a valid prescription for legitimate medical use, um, but it's not okay to prescribe it for non-medical purposes. And non-medical purposes include bodybuilding or putting another inch on your chest or your arms, right? Or, or increasing your bench press. So anything that shows that that's what it's for is subjecting that clinic or that doctor to potential harm's way. And I think the clinics have have changed a lot of their, Uh, modus operandi and and how they operate um, to try to uh, adhere to the medical side of things. So um, they are requiring blood tests. I don't know how you could prescribe uh, testosterone to somebody without knowing what their levels are, right? So, so the first thing that they'll do is that they'll they'll often have some type of video uh, conference between the patient and the doctor. Um, they'll look at factors that suggest that it might be for non-medical purposes. Um, is the person an athlete? Is, is the guy 21 years old? Uh, you know, uh, what sort of dosing? You know, there were times where some of these clinics in the early stage were giving, you know, 800 milligrams of test a week to a 23 year old who was competing in sports, you know? So, uh, that's, yep, that's how you yep. get yourself jammed up. Right. Um, but, but certainly yep. the science has evolved and the science suggests, particularly for guys of a certain age, you know, I don't know, uh, 40, you know, late thirties, late forties, certainly fifties and sixties, that as your levels drop and naturally, which is just that natural you know, hypogonadism you know, over time, that testosterone can be very beneficial for a whole lot of quality of life aspects um, for those who have low levels and that it's not the big threat to the heart, particularly at, at TRT doses, um, that some folks claimed it was, you know, and you know that the FDA put a black box warning on testosterone saying it can cause strokes and heart attacks. That, uh, science doesn't really support that. And as you probably know, there's a bunch of class action lawsuits that have been filed against the makers of testosterone drugs, uh, creams and, and stuff like that um claiming that hey you know you were false advertising and you were saying that this is good for people but it's not and it causes heart attacks and my client had a heart attack and stuff like that and and the reality is every every month i see a new study coming out that supports that testosterone is actually good for your heart if you have low levels and you're of a certain age and you don't have any contraindications that testosterone can actually improve cardiac, um, health. And so, um, so I, it, it, it's interesting. I think as that has happened more and more, and of course the, the devil's in the details, right? The, the difference between a medicine and a poison is the dose it, taking, you know, 150 milligrams, uh, 180 milligrams of a week of, of testosterone might be good for somebody's heart taking, you know, 1,500 milligrams of test and Trenbolone, you know, for long periods of time, um, that's not going to be good for your heart, you know. So um, so assuming that the TRT is done in a safe uh, manner, and again, I'm not a doctor, but certainly what I read in the medical literature suggests that, that you know, the, the risks uh, that have been portrayed in the media, and by these plaintiffs' class action lawyers are really not—they're they're baseless.
1: You know the TRT clinics. Um, yeah, I mean, it's changed a lot. I remember there was a time where a clinic got raided and they pulled out the records, and I think uh, if I'm not if I'm not mistaken. And I think it was like Fifty Cent and Mary J. Blige and a lot of right. actors yep. and stuff were, were, were on their on their patients list and all this crazy yes. stuff was going on. Yeah, some people. Uh, that was, uh, yeah, yeah. But there were a lot of uh, famous folks uh, were, were swept up in that. And now, fast forward to today, you now today apparently you can go to a TRT clinic with your testosterone levels through the roof and just tell your doctor, "Hey, I've been injecting this stuff uh, underground. Um, my level, I'm not going to inject it anymore. My levels are going to crash." Can you prescribe me something to give me a soft landing so I don't go into the? And uh, apparently, just how maybe a, a heroin addict can get a drug to help them not go into a uh, into a withdrawal. <laughs> apparently, now it's some doctors, these uh, T clinics, are willing to work with you. And, and as long as you know subsequent uh, blood tests show that your levels have dropped to to a normal and you're not still abusing it, they'll they'll prescribe you to come down. And you never have to really provide a a low testosterone uh, test you just have to you know level with the doctor and say yeah my levels are crazy but that's because I was injecting illegally now I just want to go through you how much can you give me per week and give, give me a soft land and it's, a, it's a, I mean that that whole game has changed a lot apparently from what I've heard the the people behind it who are who are franchising all these clinics out the guys who, who have the doctor's networks they also have people up in Washington um, trying to help change some things. Uh, to make it so that they can they can survive long term because I mean, dude they're prescribing TB five hundred to people they're prescribing things that are now you can get Anavar you can get a Deca of you know dandrolone through these clinics I've even heard that they're going to be prescribing Dianabol soon again, which were all at some point approved for uh, for human use, but um, that's it's been pretty interesting how that that's changed and I was just wondering if you had some some recent experience with TRT clinics and some of those uh, things.
2: So who knows what the future is going to hold? It seems like, you know, things develop for a while and then somebody uh, in government or in a medical regulatory context will, will look at it. I have represented doctors in the past who've gotten jammed up for their practices in, um, you know, prescribing testosterone or other steroids to patients. Uh, in a medical licensing situation, not not even criminal. So obviously, a a doctor who is prescribing a lot of uh, testosterone and and other steroids uh, can get on the radar screen in a number of different ways, certainly ad the type of advertising can put the person on the radar screen, um, or a complaint to the medical licensing folks from a family member or from a disgruntled patient and then they start looking into it and then ultimately they ask for the doctor's records and then they see the doctor uh, is prescribing testosterone and anivar to let's say a woman who is a uh, competitive bodybuilder or something. Uh, or to a 21-year-old uh, who didn't have low levels. And suddenly, you know, some of these medical licensing boards are, are comprised of very conservative folks. You know? and So you'll have an endocrinologist sitting on the board uh, and asking the doctor questions like, Well, you're you're not an endocrinologist, you're a, you know, emergency care doctor, that's what your training is, or you're a dermatologist, you're a plastic surgeon, what made you think that you would be able to practice endocrinology? And there's definitely a divide between the mindset of the doctors who are involved in these age management kind of clinics, and the more traditional, orthodox, Conservative endocrinology folks who are like, you know, if you're not, if your levels are not equivalent to a 90 year old woman, then we can't give you a drop of test, you know? Um, And that's unfortunately, that is somewhat of the mindset of the, you know, the more conservative endocrinologists. So there's definitely a divide there, um, whether at some point there's another. Another one of those operations, like the one that went after the clinic that you were talking about or some other clinics uh, in Florida over the years, um, you know, it may be as things get more and more and more aggressive that, you know, somebody makes a complaint and that puts some clinic
1: on the radar screen. That's very interesting. Yeah, there's definitely uh, a ton of them out, out now. And uh, it's, you know, it's changed the game because they don't have to go get their own doctors. They plug into this network of doctors and they're done pretty much. You know, they, they just have to go out and, and find patients. And it's a, it's a real interesting landscape. It, it'll be interesting to see if, if this comes to an end as well. Because, I mean, I, you've been at this for 20-something years. I've been at it for about just under 20. And yep. we've seen so many things come and go, man. Just so many different Things come and go within, <laughs> within this industry, within the, you know, the, the. I guess you could call it the enhancement uh, yep. industry. Yeah. Yeah. But I, so you many, know what, Rick, so I, I, I love what I go.
2: do. You know, I am so happy. I was a competitive bodybuilder when I was young, and um, and I was a personal trainer, and I'm, you know, certified uh, strength and conditioning specialist through NSCA. So I, you know, uh, fitness and and health and nutrition and and that's in training has been part of my life since. Long before I was a lawyer. um, And I love that I've been able to kind of, you know, my practice is kind of where these two things meet, right? Where health and fitness and wellness uh, and nutrition intersect with criminal and regulatory law. Uh, I've gotten to meet a lot of cool, I've represented a lot of pro bodybuilders. I've gotten to spend a day in, in Arnold Schwarzenegger's office uh, talking with him and meet him a, f- a number of times in, in my capacity involved with uh, pro division of IFBB as counsel. Uh, I've had all sorts of fun stuff. And I, and I love being able to help people get who get jammed up. Uh, the criminal cases that I handle as a defense lawyer uh, generally don't involve anybody hurting somebody else, you know, I'm one of the few criminal defense lawyers in the world whose clients typically don't steal anything, don't, you know, hurt physically, they're not, or sexually, or even economically, they're, they don't do those sorts of things. It's basically people who are involved in a community who are looking for a certain type of uh, appearance and, um, you know, are using steroids or selling steroids within that kind of context. And, you know, most of many of my clients have no prior criminal history. Uh, they're law abiding people. They're good people uh, who get jammed up because of the way the laws are. And as you probably know, the U.S. laws on steroids are not necessarily the same as once you get out of the, the U.S., you know, in the United Kingdom and different, in Canada. Different other you know, places. That's right. They don't treat it the same way. So, you know, here we we are much more militant and harsh on on the way we we deal with these, particularly in, in the context of possession. It's night and day. So um, so I love what I do. Uh, I love helping people. I love that a lot of my clients on criminal cases you know, become my friends on social media. Um and you know, will will, you know, chime in and, and recommend me to other people. And you know, they they want to be part of my journey as things go forward. And and I love that. I'm I'm very blessed, Rick. I'm very lucky to to have the practice I have. And you know, certainly anybody who who needs me um or you know who I can help in some way if you're in the nutrition or the supplement industry. Um, Or if you're, you know, get jammed up by law enforcement and we could do another show sometime, Rick, and talk more about people's rights and what to do if you're questioned by law enforcement or if they show up with a warrant or they don't have a warrant and they're looking for consent in one context or another. There's so much information that we could give to people. But um, but I really appreciate you giving me the the time to chat today. It's been a lot of fun. You're you're very well versed, and, and you and I you know have been watching this for a long time. I love that you brought up Ben Johnson. I'll I'll finish with this. You know that that 1988 Seoul Olympics uh, sports scandal where Ben Johnson beat Carl Lewis really launched in many ways the war on steroids by the U.S. Congress, and in some ways really launched my career in defending people who were accused of these crimes because of the law that went into effect because of ben johnson and so i got the chance to meet ben johnson about five years ago we were part of a panel together talking about doping and sports and steroids and stuff and um and he and i were able to have a a private conversation where uh you know i i acknowledged to him i said you know my, I, I owe my career in many ways um, to the fallout that occurred from your doping scandal, and um, and we took some pictures together. And I think that picture is somewhere on my Rick Collins Esq. Instagram page, as well as other stuff. So um, anybody who's interested, certainly you can follow me there. And um, you know, um, if if anybody ever has a question or a problem, I'm here to help. Uh,
1: not not to get. Too- but it, it was Joe Biden that spearheaded that whole the whole move to make steroids uh, criminalized. They were, they he, were, he
2: was yeah. he was certainly part of it and very vocal in you know the, the putting out the idea that steroids are are unAmerican because they you know foster cheating uh, and of course the reality and we could talk about this another time but. The reality is that the vast majority of people who are using anabolic steroids for non-medical purposes are not even competing in sports. It has nothing to do with sports. It has nothing to do with performance in a contest or competition. The vast majority of people, and you know this, the vast majority of, of yep. people using steroids are, are just looking to appear more muscular than they would without them. That that's, that's it, you know, and, and I've analogized this and I'm sure you've read my, my pieces and, and heard me talk about that. I think for, for most, for all of those people, steroids are much more akin to cosmetic surgery. Uh, it, it's the male, yeah. typically the male version of like you know, liposuction and and breast implants, you know, I mean, it's, It's subjecting yourself to medical risks for arguably for vanity. Okay, but we're a very vain culture. We do all sorts of stuff for vanity that's allowed. Um, But I think the the context is much more similar. And yet, you know, while a lot of those things are perfectly legal to do, if a doctor does that or you go to a doctor trying to to do that, you're you're thrown out or or the doctor gets arrested. So it's, it's an interesting, you know, discrepancy.
1: Yeah. The, the majority of steroid users are, are Bob just going to the office every day, doing an accountant looking brolic, just looking huge. You know, and, I did, a, uh, that, I was
2: part of a study on that. We did a survey a few years back. You may remember. Um, I think it was published in the medical literature in in uh, 2007 uh, called a league of their own. And you can go on, You know, you can find it online by Googling. And, you know, the average steroid user is average steroid users in their early 30s using it for cosmetic purposes, not competing in sports, hasn't competed in sports uh, in years and years and years, uh, has above average education, has above average income, um, and it's purely for non-medical purposes. You know, to
1: look better. Yeah, absolutely. Pro- professional, just Bob going to office. <laughs> you know, professional, making good money. Yeah, that, that's, and, and uh, yet profile he's the average store
2: And yet, that Bob is a criminal under under American law.
1: We need to get all the Bobs out of the woodwork. It won't take long. It'll be, you know, it'll be a couple, couple of us uh, get. You know, I, I will say this, Rick. Uh, I In my 20 years in, in this industry, I've, I've sold advertising space. I've now made my own products, uh, deal with manufacturers, deal with a lot of people. I'm, I think we have like something like 300 uh, friends on Facebook that we are uh, in common. Sure. Everybody, everybody looks for Rick whenever they're jammed up with anything. All these nutritional supplement companies, there's just – this guy I was just talking to about making a pre-workout for me uh, back in the day, many years ago, he, he had done some pro-hormone deals after uh, the bands. And, um, you know, years and years later, it caught up with him and he had to go and, you know, deal with his past. And yeah, he mentioned having you uh, as an advisor to his lawyer. So if people aren't hiring you directly, they're hiring you to work with their lawyers yes. <laughs> you know, and advise yep. them. It's definitely, yeah. um, I mean, I've, I've yet to see anybody in the industry that gets jammed up that doesn't call you or have their lawyers call you because you've, you specialize in, in, in this thing. Now, let me ask you this last question before we go, and we could get into a podcast about this too. When you were going to law school, when you were thinking about becoming a lawyer, what did you actually want to specialize in? Because I doubt you were you were in law school thinking about defending our steroid users, right? What were, right. You, what were, you, what were you thinking about doing with, with your life Would you, when you grew up? What do you want to be? It's 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 so funny because when I went to law school,
2: it was before steroids were, were criminalized, you know, they weren't even controlled substances. So there was no, um, you know, even thought that that could ever be an area of practice. And it was really before sports nutrition really took off, you know, um, you know, it was only in, you know, the dietary supplement health and education act. And in the aftermath of that, that people started coming out with sports nutrition products. I remember when I was in college, you know, there was sports nutrition didn't really exist. There was some desiccated liver tablets that we were taking and, um, you know, this, this chalky, horrible protein products and, or there was this like collagen, this, this like red syrupy collagen in a plastic bottle that you'd pour on a tablespoon and drink. And it tasted like something between motor oil and, and, you know, cough medicine um, and so, yeah, uh, so uh, I, I, had no
1: way,
2: right. Your amount, it was a long time ago, but, but that's what it was. And so, um, timing is everything, Rick, you know, it's funny that the year that I went into private practice in 1990 was the same exact year that steroids were criminalized by Congress. And so th- maybe things happen for a reason. And so, um, the, if I, the timing was just perfect. When I went to law school, I was I was initially thinking about being a prosecutor, and so I did work for five years as a prosecutor. So I was putting the bad guys, you know, and it was putting the bad guys in jail and um, and fighting for justice and you know putting away the robbers and 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 the rapists and and the people who were doing terrible things to other people. Uh, and I loved that job, and I think I did it in a in a way that was uh, fair. Um, I was tough, but, but fair. And, and, um, and then I went into, you know, I left that to, to go into private practice because I'm entrepreneurial like you. And, and I wanted to build a business. I wanted to build something of my own with my partners. And, um, and I started out doing bread and butter criminal defense, and I still do some, bread and butter criminal defense work at the federal level outside of this, you know, this practice. Um, For example, I'm representing one of the people who uh, went into the U.S. Capitol on January 6 and and defending, you know, him on on that case in Washington. So I do other cases as well. And I love being a criminal defense lawyer. But um, but I you know, this sort of came about because I was having been a competitive bodybuilder, having been in the gym culture, for years, um, when steroids became criminalized uh, and suddenly in the early 90s, people started getting arrested for steroids. It was like, what the hell is going on here? And and nobody really they did. made it
1: harder for you to get your stash. They made it harder for you to get your stuff.
2: <laughs> oh, you're bad. You're a bad man. So. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. So I started getting calls and and these were the same these are the kind of guys that, that had been spotting me in the gym for years. You know, these are the same kind of guys who were my friends. And so, um, so it was, it was great. And, and my, my practice evolved naturally, you know, organically, it wasn't something that I planned. It wasn't something that, you know, was opportunistic or, or thought out. It was just, you know, sometimes, you know, fate finds you and you, you find your place and, and you, you find your purpose and your mission in life. You know, I was just talking to some law students the other day and talking about, you know, a lot of young people are looking for happiness within the legal profession. And, and I say, you know, looking for happiness is, is not, you know, you're never gonna find it. It, it. it becomes, you know, it's like chasing a ghost, you know, the closer you get to it, the more it evaporates. And, you know, instead of looking for happiness, search for purpose find your purpose, find purpose in what you do. And happiness will follow finding that purpose. I,
1: I know there had to be a time where you defended those one or two really well-known key clients that kind of establish you, settle you in as, as like the the go-to guy. Because we, in our industry, it's in a way, everybody kind of knows each other. Um, right. And I know, I know there had to be a time where like you defended those one or two guys that are really well-known. And after that... Everybody started calling you is that is that how it kind of went about?
2: yeah I think I think that that kind of happened um, you know even even guys who weren't overly well known um, started you know singing my praises to other people because of of how I handled their cases and how I kind of understood things that that other lawyers didn't um, but yeah, I, I mean I represented the chemist in the Balco case uh, probably twenty years ago. And um, and that got a lot of publicity, Um, the the whole, you know, cheating scandal with, you know, Marion Jones and Barry Bonds and all of that. So that put me on the radar screen. And and I I represented Dave Palumbo. He brought his name up before, but Dave also, I mean, Dave always says, if you don't hire Rick, you're out of your mind. And I appreciate that tremendously. And so, you know, I represented some people who are higher profile and who had, you know, some influence in the community. And so um, and so I think that definitely put me on the radar screen. And really, there's not a lot of other lawyers, if any, that really have the experience uh, and knowledge, uh, of decades in, in the trenches. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think like you said, if, if you're in this business, um, and you're involved with any kind of, you know, FDA or DEA problematic substances, um, you, you probably know who I am or or have me on speed dial.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, nobody nobody wants to sit at with their lawyers and have to explain to them what what these steroids are I got in trouble with, right? Nobody right. wants yeah. to do no, that. And, and I wind you're
2: up doing like, that. You know, when people hire me as a consultant, I wind up doing yeah. that. I wind up educating their lawyer from, you know, a very rudimentary level.
1: Yes. Yes. I, I could that that's why they either either hire you directly or they bring you into work with their lawyers because the I mean some of these guys might be great criminal lawyers, but they just they don't know the difference between a, you know, a, a DECA and a D-ball and a nanovar. D- right. an they don't know anything. Nobody and that knows.
2: can be that, the that. most important thing, you know. And so I, I've handled cases in, in all over the country where people will bring me in as the lead lawyer. And then I'll bring in just a local guy who, you know, and I'm very, very careful about who I bring in as my local counsel because I want somebody who is who is the right fit for the particular prosecutor involved and the particular judge that the case is going to be in front of. And so I can kind of very much handpick local counsel. I've worked with excellent local counsel around the country, but a lot of the heavy lifting I can do because a lot of the negotiating involves the particular expertise that I have. Um, and and that benefits the client and, and that combination I've found. Um, on cases from, you know, the deep South to the far West and, you know, uh, everywhere in between um, is, is great. And I am licensed in, in numerous states as well. I'm licensed not only in New York, but in Pennsylvania and Massachusetts and D.C. and, and Texas. And, but um, I found that in particularly in very small jurisdictions, you know, uh, small cities, having local counsel that I bring in um, is a great way of getting sort of the combination of the knowledge and experience and the subject matter with a little bit of the home cooking where the, you know, the judge will see a face that she recognizes or he recognizes. Um, and that that combination gets the, the kind of results that then have people going out and, and, you know, spreading the word about, about me, about,
1: Yeah yeah i I like reading a lot of your stuff that you put on on social and and some of your columns i mean i really like reading your your stuff because it's always very interesting because in this industry you always see people even people like like i said my buddy had a has a brand on the up and up and some pro hormones he sold four or five years ago caught up with him so you always see people jammed up that you consider just normally normally good people and uh some of the better ones that i like reading when you when you write is is it this 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 whole story thing is so complex that even prosecutors don't understand it too well and there's times that you've had to go and explain to the prosecutor what it is what it is we're doing here and why maybe your case is not as strong as you think you know yeah it's always been interesting that they're even the the prosecutors don't even understand it
2: that's very often and and you know and i've dealt with i gotta say most of the prosecutors i've dealt with are smart people and um you know they uh they're worthy adversaries and and i like the look you know it's if you want to be a trial lawyer you've got to be a gladiator you've got to recognize that when you're a defense lawyer you're stepping into an arena and the the government for all the you know mechanisms of presumption of innocence and burden of proof on the prosecution the reality yes. is the government yes. has great resources they've got tremendous resources they've got tremendous advantages and and you're the gunslinger you're the you're the guy who's coming in you know, guns a blazing to try to dig your client out of what could be just a, a, a deep, deep black hole. And, and I take it seriously. I, I say that the greatest compliment anybody can ever pay me is to is to trust me as their lawyer, to hire me as their lawyer, because, you know, that that puts a huge burden on me. You know, you're, you're entrusting me to save your life very often. And and so uh, whether it's through negotiation and, and you know explaining to the prosecutor how certain presumptions that he or she has about the case are unfounded or certain guideline views that they have are actually not correct um, and I have enough experience to be able to articulate these things in a way that's persuasive and um, you know and, and if you have to fight and you have to litigate uh, which I have you know I've, I've litigated all sorts of weird issues and and weird cases across the country. Um, and, um, you gotta be prepared to fight and, um, but yeah, very often, uh, I'm able to work things out in a way that is very beneficial to the client. And I am probably one of the few lawyers who can say that the majority of my clients don't go to prison even on federal cases. And that's statistically very, very unusual, um, if not unprecedented and obviously you can never make guarantees and every case is different and you know um, circumstances vary but I can tell you that the majority of my clients uh, are prosecuted in federal courts and don't go to
1: prison um, and I'm proud of that I think I think the fact you just understand every side of this so well puts you at a, at a huge advantage like we we're just discussing it puts you just in an incredible, advantage of negotiating when you're the one explaining to the prosecutor what, what we're doing here, what we're talking about, here, what these things are that we're talking about. And uh, I think it, it I mean, it, it, yeah, it's great because otherwise you'd have two lawyers that don't even know what what's going on, don't know what, yeah. what they're even looking at. Yeah. And I've seen that
2: happen sometimes, sadly, where people will call me and they'll tell me what happened with their case. And, you know, it's too late for me to help. And it's, it's you know. I'm like, well, one of the reasons you know, I know it's,
1: uh, I know, one of the reasons I know it's a mess out there is because at least when we, when we read some articles, even some, sometimes you share on, on social where people are getting, are, you know, having a forfeit money uh, for, for, for SARMs or this or that, the, the agencies that are coming after them are always different. Sometimes it's the FDA, sometimes it's the FBI, sometimes is is local. So, so the fact that it's so kind of widespread, different uh, agencies are sure. enforcing it, uh, There. Each different agencies are using different laws to to go after after yeah, these guys. Yeah, you it. could you could and add you could, Homeland
2: Security. You can add Homeland yep. Security to that. You can add the postal inspectors to that. Yeah, oh, absolutely.
1: The the fact that it's not just one agent, one agency or two, or two using the same laws, but basically several agencies using using everything in the book to try to put these guys out of business. It's it definitely takes someone who really knows every end of it uh to really to really negotiate and get you get you get you out of this jam with a with a decent result for sure yeah
2: and i'm i'm i really i'm i'm humbled and, and i'm blessed to be able to to help people in that way uh i i really love what i do um you know it gets back to you know purpose leads to happiness and um And I, I I thank you for giving me the chance to, to chat a little bit. I hope, uh, I hope every, anybody listening to this podcast, uh, got something of value out of it and, um, and follow me on social media. And, and certainly you can reach out if you go to rickcollins.com, uh, rickcollins.com is a website that, that has some information about the sort of federal practice that I have. And, um, if you're interested in, in supplements and sports nutrition issues, um, you know, we do represent, my firm represents a lot of companies. Uh, we even do trademark work. So if you're looking to, you know, even contract or trademark work, I, I have lawyers that that do an enormous amount of that work and can help supplement companies to navigate those waters. So, um, uh, So yeah, maybe I'll I'll, I'll see some of your, your listeners on social media, uh, reach out, say hi. Um, I go to a lot of the trade shows too, uh, you know, at least until COVID kind of derailed so much, but, um, I, I usually, I go to the Olympia, I go to the Arnold, um, and so, and, and some of the, you know, expos, uh, for supplements. So, you know, uh, maybe say hello if, if you're there.
1: Yeah, Rick, thank you very much for coming on today. I'll definitely uh, try to get another uh, interview with you. i get into, awesome. into Kratom. I want to get more yeah. into, uh, yeah. Yeah. into, into steroid, steroid laws and international uh, things to do with steroids. And yeah, there's definitely a lot of cool. other topics.
2: Absolutely. Growth hormone, we could talk about, individual rights and how to protect them. So much we could talk yeah. about. So thank you again, Rick. I really appreciate it. Hey.
1: Thank you for your time today, Rick. I know you're a busy guy. I appreciate it. And we'll, we'll be in touch via social and, and try to uh, get something going. I'm going to link your socials, uh, basically your Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook on the description of this podcast so that people can go in, and join you and, and read. Awesome. You, you post in very interesting stuff. I like reading all of your, all of your work, man. It's, it's, it's incredible. Thank you very much for your time today, brother. You're welcome, man. Thank you. Take care.
0: All right, guys, yeah, that was a great interview, Rick. You guys really got into the legality of SARMS and steroids and talking about TRT clinics and stuff. So, um, you know, this guy you know, seems to be working with uh, these companies and advising them and stuff. So, is this guy uh, a guy that someone could get in contact with if they need law law help?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, Rick Collins. I mean, a quick YouTube, uh, Google search will will find you, Rick Collins. Yeah. So, he's uh, a pretty def- down
0: a... He's a he's a nice guy down to earth, uh not not a typical asshole lawyer, huh?
1: <laughs> well, Rick, I've no, well he's he's a New Yorker, so he's gotta be a good guy, right? I've he's have I've, I've uh, been familiar with Rick now for almost two decades, uh just his work. Uh I've never had to personally use him thank god. Hope I I I never will, knock on uh knock on wood. Oh so, uh definitely a uh, a really good contact. So, any of you guys out there need any help? Or anybody in the industry, out of the industry, just anything, man. Rick Collins. Quick Google search, you'll be able to find them. I'll make sure to link in the show notes, um, a link out to his social or his website, so you guys can go check him out and talk to him if you have any any problems or anything you need.
0: All right. So, this guy's this is number four twenty two. Rick Collins, a, a very unique podcast for sure. Great job on it, Rick. We'll talk to you guys next week with another one.
1: Have a good one, Steve. Have a good one, guys.
0: Guys, this is the required legal disclaimer. We are only sharing our experience from years of steroid use. We are not doctors, and none of what we say should be regarded as medical advice,